Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Huntington Community Church. We are so glad you're here. Well, last week we um, went through Matthew 13. Matthew 13, we saw eight parables that talked about the kingdom of heaven. And we've, we've, we've said this over and over throughout this series that, that there's just two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world and there's the kingdom of heaven. And last week Jesus taught us about what the kingdom of heaven is, that there is a present and future reality of the kingdom of heaven. That's where the Jews really just didn't understand. They, they thought that, that, that uh, there was just going to be this present reality where the kingdom of heaven would show up and they would overthrow Rome. And Jesus taught them that there is this future part, that he's going to return again. Uh, and he, he taught them that it's going to be a slow process with the mustard seed in the yeast, that... Uh, that the kingdom of heaven would start out slow, but then it would just grow and grow. And you see the church, man, it's just, uh, it's, 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 it's global right now. I mean, we haven't reached every, there's still a, a, a lot of unreached people groups. But uh, the kingdom of heaven is, it's advancing. Uh, and so this morning, we finish out chapter 13, and we look into chapter 14. And what you're going to see is... Um, you're going to see these two kingdoms represented in this chapter. You're going to see the first part, you're going to see people who belong to this kingdom of this world, where they're going to see the works of Jesus, and, and, and they're just, that's not going to be enough for them. Their hearts are just hardened. If you go back to one of the parables that Jesus taught us last week about the soil, um, you're going to see like that first soil where it was just hardened, and you're going to see that uh, uh, a few times this morning, and then you're going to see the contrast. You're going to see what citizens of the kingdom of heaven, how they respond when they see the works of Jesus. So that's where we're headed this morning. So if you have your Bible, let's uh, jump into Matthew 13, verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And uh, coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are, are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all of his sisters um, with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown in his own household. And, when he, uh, and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work within him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's, uh, Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. So that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, 
She said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, um, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns, and when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children." Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat And walked on the water and came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the, when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him uh, that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for this word. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, uh, as Jordan prayed earlier, that you would soften our hearts. That we would hear from you this morning and not uh, turn from your word, but we would run to it. That we would run to you. 
Lord, may we uh, cherish this time with you and with our family here this morning. Give us the ears to hear. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so here we see uh, these two kingdoms. Uh, and we see citizens of both kingdoms here representing in this passage. And uh, the first we see in um, the end of chapter 13 is Jesus goes to his hometown. And, and notice there in, in verses 53 through 58 that, that he's teaching um, them in verse 54 in, in such a way where he's teaching in the synagogue. They, they were astonished at his teaching. Uh, and then they began to look at him and, and, and just see this, this wisdom that he's teaching with. And he looks over here at his family and they're going, come on, who, this guy? Like, we know his mom, we know his dad, his brothers, his sisters, we know them. There's no way this guy can be a part of, of their family. And um, Jesus... You know, he, he, he taught them. He's, uh, he, he taught them openly, and um, they just continued to reject him. Uh, they heard his word, they saw his works, and they just denied to truly worship Jesus Christ. Uh, they, their hearts were hardened, and so Jesus, knowing their hearts, we see that um, he he just didn't do many mighty works there. In verse fifty-eight, he he left because of their unbelief. And um, so you see what a citizen of this kingdom, they, they can see everything that you and I might see, and they just still doubt. That, that's why, like, like, it's not just about evidence. Uh, sometimes we want to argue and, and, and we want to show, like, look at all these things. And, and at the end of the day, um, you can look, think about this. In the Old Testament, the sea was parted. The Israelites walked across the Red Sea. It wasn't just days later that they began to complain. Um, Lazarus was raised from the dead. He had been de dead for days. Jesus raises him from the dead. Evidence. They see him, but yet some people still just turn from Jesus. It's not just about evidence. That, these, that they see the evidence, but they turn from it. Their hearts were hardened. The next we see a similar example with, with Herod. This passage is so uh, just troubling. We see Herod hearing all these works of Jesus, and, and he's upset, he, he's afraid, he's nervous, because he's thinking uh, there may be a new king in town. He sees, and the text here says that he saw the fame of Jesus in verse 1. And Herod liked his own fame. And so at this point, there's this battle between his kingdom and the kingdom of heaven. He didn't want to surrender to the kingdom of heaven. He wanted his own fame. He liked his own kingdom. And so he's nervous, and he's reflecting. So verse 3 through 12 can kind of be confusing, um, but it goes past tense. He's reflecting. And so in verses 3 through 12, he's, he's recalling uh, this, this event that happened where he had arrested John the Baptist. He arrested John the Baptist because John was being um, just bold. John, uh, as we learned earlier, um, he just, he didn't care to proclaim truth. 
even if it hurt. And here um, we see that Herod had arrested him because John was going around saying, Herod, you shouldn't have your brother's wife. That is not pleasing to the Lord. And Herod didn't like that, and so he just arrested him. Um, And if you think back a few weeks ago when John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus to, you know, say, are you really the Messiah? It's because he was in prison. So somewhere between that chapter and here, he was actually beheaded. And so he arrested him, and then uh, Herodias tricked him um, into um, murdering John the Baptist. And what I love about John is um, he may have lost his head, but he kept his integrity. And we need to understand in our culture today, when you stand up for God's truth, it's, it's costly. It's risky. Um, you're going to be put into a category. Um, there's going to come a day where you could get arrested for standing up for God's truth. And John the Baptist said, I would rather go to jail and keep my integrity than lose my integrity and be free. And he took it another step farther. He said, I would rather lose my head and keep my integrity than to lose my integrity and keep my head. So John was, he looked at the kingdom. Remember last week, one of the parables, the parable of the, uh, of, of, of the buried treasure? John saw Christ as the treasure. And you will risk everything, even your life, uh, when you see Christ as that treasure. And so John was willing to die here. And notice here that Herod, under Herod's reign, Herod murdered the greatest man ever to be born of a woman, John the Baptist. And as we'll see in a few weeks, that Herod murdered the greatest God-man as well. That Jesus and John both um, fall under Herod's reign. And, and here there's, a, there's John the Baptist, if you remember through this, whenever it brings up John the Baptist, it's, it's pointing us back to Elijah, you remember that? And Elijah was the same way, Elijah stood up against uh, King Ahab, and, and so here uh, John the Baptist is standing up against another king, doesn't go so well for him physically, but his treasure is in heaven. So we've seen... How the kingdom of this world operates, how those citizens function, that they see the works of God and they just, they don't care. Um, they turn away from the Lord, they, they, they do things against the Lord like um, we see here with, uh, with Herod. Um, it just doesn't matter what the evidence is. But then we see um, what a citizen of this kingdom of heaven, how they respond. When they see Christ for who he is, we get to see what that actually looks like. Um, in verses 13 through 21, uh, we see this, this great work, this miracle of feeding of the 5,000. That might be what your um, subtitle there in, in, your, in your Bible says. And um, In verse 21, we, we actually realize that this is actually not the feeding of the 5,000, even though it's what we've historically have called it, in, in verse 21, it says that that was just the number of the men, that this didn't even count the, the women and children. So, you know, if most people were married and then you add kids into this, 
there is at least 10,000 people here. I mean, if, if they were just married, it's going to double, and you throw in kids. So at least 10,000 people there gathered. This is the only miracle um, that you see in all four Gospels. That's interesting, right? That out of you know, the four Gospels, this is the only one that you see in, in each Gospel. And, and here, so each one tell like a different way, of a different perspective. And, and, and here, it, really the idea is to get the disciples to realize their dependence on Christ. And um, that, they, that they needed the king of this kingdom. And <laughs> so Jesus, he, he sees the crowd, and like previously, he sees the crowd, and he has compassion upon them. And uh, he begins to teach, and like every good teacher, they lose track of uh, the allotted time, and so it's getting late. Um, and, uh, and so here, um, disciples come and say, Jesus, like, it's getting late. They haven't eaten. Um, they need to go. We need to send them away so that they can still have time to go get something to eat because we don't have enough money or food to care for them. And so Jesus says, well, what do you guys have? And uh, they come back here in Matthew's gospel, and they say, well, we have five loaves and, and two fish. I love John's gospel. John lets us know how they got the five loaves and the two fish. Do you remember this in John's gospel? you remember who, who actually had the five loaves and two fish? It was a boy. Uh, and, and nobody knew his name. He was just, they just said in John's gospel, John 6, just says a boy had. And I love that boy that day. You know, he had no idea bringing that, what, what was going to happen that day. And, um, and I, I love what um, Jesus is trying to get us to see and learn in this, pa- in this passage, this, this miracle. Several things. And you may think of many more, but here's, here, here are some. Um, I think at the moment that's getting late and the disciples realize, like, hey, we need to send them away. We can't take care of these people. I think that's exactly the moment Jesus is like, exactly. You can't take care of these people, but I can. And so Jesus wants them to see their inadequacy. He wants them to see their insufficiency. And at that moment, to see him as being sufficient. That he has everything, that, that their greatest resource is right there among them. They just need to realize how to look for that. And so they start looking around, and Jesus says, well, what do you have? And they said, well, let's, we've got these five loaves and this two fish. And he's like, that's, that's plenty. It's more than I need. And so um, he blesses it, and then they begin to pass it out to distribute it. And so I, I think one thing we learn here is that um, everything that we need to satisfy us is found in Christ. Um, we don't need to look to each other. There's no other relationship. There's no other material, no other thing that's going to satisfy us. John's gospel, Jesus goes on to explain that, that he is the bread of life. That as they're being satisfied, um, and if you notice in verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied physically. Jesus in John's gospel is trying to get them to see that he is the only one who can satisfy them spiritually. That there's these deep longings inside us. And we're all looking for things. 
We're all longing for these things. We want to be satisfied. And Jesus is going, you can't find it out there. You can only find it in me. I am the bread of life. I will satisfy your deepest longings. No job, no man, no woman, no child, no paycheck. All the Christmas stuff. I, I, we actually celebrated Christmas yesterday at our house just because we're traveling next week. And we just, it gets, I come from a divorced family, so like going to my house, like doing Christmas my house, going to my mom's, then to my dad, it's just exhausting. So we, we break it up. It's more like Hanukkah for us. We do like seven days of Christmas. And so we did Christmas yesterday, but before the kids unwrapped any present, I just said, hey, guys, like, just want you to understand, you're going to get some good gifts. And there's going to be things you've been asking for and longing for, and, and, and you may get some of those. And even those ones, like whatever that thing was, like I just want you to notice, like you're going to be so excited, you're going to play with it, but in about three weeks, four weeks, it's not going to be as exciting as it was today. And I know you're like, well, that's an awful thing to tell your child. But I want, I want to teach my children that these things aren't going to satisfy them. There's something inside us so we're longing for that thing. And that thing is really Christ. We're wired to long for Christ. And we look, we look for these other temporary things that fill that, but it's only going to be found in Him. So just teaching our children that is so important. And, uh, and Jesus is teaching His children in this moment. He's teaching the disciples, like, hey, guys, you need to look to me. You can't do it all. I will supply your daily need. Uh, they're going to go on a big mission. I, I, I've not done a good job of keeping this in front of us. But right now in chapter 14, even though we're, we're halfway, like Matthew has eight, 28 chapters, we're not halfway through Jesus' ministry. We're almost at the end. It, we're like two years in. Um, from chapter 21 to 28, it's only a week. The last week of his life is those last eight chapters. And so this is like he's coming up near the end. And so he's been with them. He's trying to show them like some very important truths. And he's showing them, he's teaching them right here that depend on me. Everything that you need, resources, find it in me. And then I love here that he, he does it. And man, Jesus could have easily just had everybody come to him. He could have held the basket and, and fed them all. Or just like you remember with Moses when they were in the wilderness, how God just sent down manna from heaven. Couldn't Jesus have just done that that day? He, he could have, right? But he didn't. He, he gathered what they had, and then he blessed it. And then he gave it to the disciples to distribute among them. The other gospels say that, that they broke everybody up into groups of hundreds and fifties, and they went and distributed out the bread. And I love here that Jesus doesn't pass out one single thing. That he allows them to do it. And I think the principle here that we should take this morning is that God provides through us. You realize that? That God provides through us. That we, the church, we should be the most generous, most giving, sacrificial people in the world. I, I've, I've read this um, in the past where if just the church in America would just tithe, okay, 
just do what we're supposed to do. Give 10% to the church. If, if, if the church in America would tithe, we would have enough money to feed everyone in the world. That's just us doing, that's not even going above. That's just doing the bare minimum. If just the church in America, not the rest of the world, we'd be able to feed everybody in the entire world. We have the resources. It's us to do great things. Uh, I pray that 2019, that, that we would just be the most generous people, that we would give and, and do just incredible things. That we wouldn't hold on and cling, but that we would be generous. Uh, every year, Liv and I, we, we, we just uh, pray like, Lord, we want to increase what we give. And by the grace of God, we continue to increase every year. I would love, I've read, I, I don't know how this would work for us. Some things would need to change. But I would love to be one of those people that by the end of their life are reverse tithers. You ever heard of those people? Um, I... I I've read of, of, of a few people where um, by the end of their life, they're living off 10% and they're giving 90. And every year, I mean, it's, I'm not saying we're going from 10 to 20%, but every year we're, we're increasing a little bit where we just want to just keep giving, keep living off less and keep giving more. Uh, and I think that's what Jesus, and you know what, and every year the Lord provides. And, I, and every year I go, man, I don't know how this is going to work. And then here we are in December, and like, it's been an incredible year. Uh, and, and, and so I just continue to be challenged. Like, just give. Just keep giving. Um, give to what hurts. The Lord always provides. Um, and, and so this is a great example of how um, everything we have, everything we need is found in Christ. Um, and you see how they respond. They, they just, they, they're, they're satisfied, and that's what... Citizens of the kingdom of heaven, when, when they see Christ for who, who he is, they're, they're satisfied that, a, that a, a citizen of this kingdom is, is satisfied in Christ. You're content with what you have, that you're not looking and longing for um, everything this world can offer. You're satisfied in Christ. And then next we see um, another miracle. So transition here, Jesus sends his disciples away. In verse 22, he sends them in a boat and tells them, he, he, he told them to go to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And then, I love this, that he went by himself and just began to pray. So we find him in um, verse 23. He's on the mountain, and he's alone, and he's praying. Verse 24 says, the boat by this time was a long way from land. It's beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And then during the fourth watch, in the next verse, um, fourth watch is uh, between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's the last watch of the night. And so to think he sent them away in the evening, and then he doesn't show up until, you know, 3, 6 a.m., he'd been praying for a long time. And they had been out on the boat for a long time. Uh, and so Jesus, it's storming, so it's raining. And the sea here is talking about Galilee, so it's think more of like big lake, and so they're out on this lake in this, in this boat, storm, uh, they can't see very well, and they see this figure, 
Jesus walking on the water. They think it's a ghost. They cry out. Um, they're afraid. And then verse 27, Jesus immediately speaks to them. And he says, take heart as I do not be afraid. Um, I need to repent. Um, just well, I, I've been repenting as I've read this passage in the last couple weeks. I've read this passage, and I'll just read, and, and, and um, the first several times I would just, I, I like to just read through a passage several times before I start, you know, breaking it down, looking at observations, and, and this is such a familiar story, right? If you've grown up in church, Jesus walking on water, then Peter walking on water. When I would read Peter walked on water, I just, I just read in Peter, uh, um, Verse 29, uh, Jesus says, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. And I would just read over that. And I just had to stop and repent. That I would just read over that Peter walked on water. You, you get that this morning? Peter walked on water. Now, I, I, Jesus, like, sometimes, like, you know, we understand he's fully man, but yet he has this whole God thing going on for him. So when he walks on water, like, we're, like that's, that's awesome, but like, okay, you're God, right? But get, Peter walked on water. Like, I just had to repent and go, Lord, I, I just don't, this passage has lost its awness. And for me, I had to just be like, Lord, let me read this as the first time that Peter walked on water. And, and Peter takes a lot of heat. Because, you know, Jesus gives this rebuke to him a little bit later in verse 31. When he begins to sink, he, and, you know, he's crying out, Lord, save me. And Jesus says, oh, you're a little faith. Why did you doubt? And so Peter gets, you know, like, oh, look at you, Peter. A little faith. You know, one, he's the only one that asked to come out. We don't see the other disciples saying, oh, me, me, me. And, and who asked to walk on water? That Peter, for some reason, sees Jesus, and Jesus is his rabbi, and so he, he, he's learning from his rabbi, and whatever the rabbi does, Jesus is supposed to do, or you know, his disciples are supposed to do. So Peter's like, hey, can I come walk on water too? And Jesus is like, sure, come on out here, Peter. Anybody like in all of this still? Or is this just, we've heard this a thousand times. And so Peter gets out of the boat, and, and I just love that Peter asks this, he, he asks something, he asks Jesus this huge request. So I think there's this principle here to learn from Peter of, do you ask big things? A couple weeks ago in D group, um, I'm with Thad and, and, and Matt on a Wednesday night, and uh, we are reading through Ephesians, and it just hit me that I don't ask these kind of prayers or things that happen, and I think the reason why I don't is because most of my day, at least in my mind, that what I need to get done in my day, I don't need Jesus to help me. That's how I function, at least functionally, that whatever I need to accomplish tomorrow, I don't need to ask Jesus for help just to get up. And now I understand, like, 
he controls my breath and this, but, but functionally, hopefully you understand what I'm, what I'm trying to make, that my day is so ordinary, let's say, that I don't need Jesus to step in and work in a mighty way because I'm just praying for little things to happen, things that I can do in my own might. And Jesus is trying to get us to understand that he wants us to take these steps of faith to where you can't do it. That's part of the feeding of the 5,000. It's part of this miracle. Is Peter cannot do this on his own. And I think if we're truly praying big prayers, trying to attempt great things here in Huntington, we need the Lord's help. I'm excited for uh, 2019. I think we're taking a couple big steps of faith. We're doing this kids camp. Listen, we're doing a kids camp in Huntington that we have no idea how many kids are even going to come to. We could be really overwhelmed. I mean, it, it could be hundreds of kids coming to this kids camp. It could be a disaster. <laughs> but I love that we're like, let's just try it. And we're just going to go. We're going to take big steps. Uh, and so I think that's a great step. But I know there's many other things um, that the Lord wants us to do. But we're like the other disciples. We're just sitting in the boat along for the ride. It's great. And Jesus is going, step out of the boat. Trust me. What is he calling you to do personally? And he wants you to take a big step of faith that you can't do it on your own, that you're going to need Jesus and his resources to pull it off, that his power, not your power. I pray that we're doing these things as a church. Man, I don't want to be in the boat just along for a ride. I want to attempt great things for the Lord. Sometimes my mind is so small, I don't even know what that means. You ever been there? You just, Lord, I want to do something great. Can you tell me what that is? Because I don't even know. I'll, I'll do it. I just don't know. And, and, and so I just, we've got to take risks. Peter took a risk. He walked on water. But then you notice what happened. He took his eyes off Christ. You see that? It's very subtle. Where, where, where did he begin to put his eyes on? You see that in the passage? He, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out. Uh, he took his eyes off Christ. He began to focus on the water. And so when Jesus rebukes him like, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? We need to understand that he's not saying that, Peter, there's, there is more faith in you. Like, you just need to muster it up. You need to, like, dig deep and find more faith inside you. Jesus rebuking him for taking his eyes off of the object of his faith. That we need to fix our eyes on Christ. What happens is we take our eyes off Christ and we begin to look at all of our troubles. And Jesus is saying, look to me, Peters. Stop looking at everything else. Stop doubting that I can... Um, provide for you. And, and I love this. This is a very gospel-driven 
declaration from Peter. He, he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. That, that he, he's in need, he's desperate, and he turns to the Lord. And that is a beautiful picture of salvation for us. That we're, we were not just sinking, we were already sunk. Paul says in Ephesians, we were dead. And that we need to cry out. That the Lord raises us from the dead. We cry out for help. That's the beginning of our part of salvation, that we cry out, we repent, say, Lord, we need, we need you. And so maybe that's you today. Maybe you're sinking, you're trying things in your own might. And the Lord's telling you, call out on me. Lord, save me. And he offers salvation to you today. Just cry out, Lord, save me. And he begins to, uh, to see here that um, you know, he, he grabs Peter and they get in the boat. And notice in verse 32 that when they get into the boat, the wind stops. Uh, verse 33 is an important verse for us. This is like the climax. It says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. See, when they saw his works, they bowed their knee. See, that's, that's unlike the other people we talked about, right? The people in Nazareth, they saw his works and they were offended by him. Herod saw his works and wanted him to be dead like John the Baptist. But the disciples saw his works and they bowed their knee to him. This is the first time we see in Matthew's gospel where they identify him as the son of God. We saw back in... Um, Matthew 3, when Jesus was being baptized, that the Heavenly Father said, this is my son. We've seen when Jesus approached demons, those demons would say, you are the son of God. But this is the first time we've seen the disciples call out that he's the son of God. And they worshipped him. Um, once you recognize that Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, you are faced with a decision. Are you going to be like the kingdom of this world that sees his works and either attributes them to Satan or uh, are offended by Jesus? Or do you see his works and do you bow your knee? Do you worship him for who he is? I'm going to invite the band to come back this morning as we keep singing. I pray that we uh, see G Jesus for who he is, that we know that we can't do anything in our own might, that we would call out on him, um, and we would be the most generous, giving, um, sacrificial people, that we don't hold too tightly to our our things. Uh, I pray this morning that, that we would uh, bow down to the only one who can truly satisfy our deepest longings, our deepest desires. Um, that, that we would see him as sovereign, like right here in this passage. I understand that 
that, that Jesus, uh, he has the storm in his hand. At the same time, he's got the disciples' lives in his hand. And I pray that, that you and I, that we, would, that we would bow down to the kind of God who can control everything in his hand. Uh, that he is sovereign over all things. That the storms that you're going to face in 2019, uh, that, that his hand is, is on them. That he brings storms in our lives. Uh, uh, to test our faith, to see if, if, if we're going to leave like that third and fourth uh, seed from last week of that parable, or are we going to bear much fruit? Uh, so may we bow down to the only one who can satisfy those, those deep longings of our soul and, and, and to the one who, who holds our lives and our storms in his hand. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, this morning your word would just uh, take root into our hearts, that we would be yeah, a church of just uh, mature believers. Uh, that we're taking root and growing in Christ, that we're putting off the old self and putting on... Uh, the new self made in the image of Christ. Lord, help us to renew our minds, to trust you no matter what, even when storms come our way. Lord, help us to not be afraid in those storms. Help us to, to be bold and in the midst of storms do something risky like getting out of the boat and walking on the water. Now, Lord, I pray that we would Hear your word and run to it, not hear your word and see your works and minimize them or look to other things. Lord, may we find all of our joy and satisfaction solely in you. To your name alone be the glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.